Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. Today we're going to talk about Jesus and Mary and Martha. Um, sometimes ministries like to get real deep. Just let me say this. They like to get real deep in different meanings of stories such as these. But I am a practical life application preacher, and I think you guys know that. We can go deep. We can do all of these things. But really, the question is, what for? What for? So we need to be able to take the Word of God. We need to be able to learn how to apply it to our situation, apply it to our lives. And in a phrase, we need to learn how to work the Word. We need to learn to work the Word because the Word will work if you work the Word. That's right. So you guys know it. So um, I want us to just look at a few things here out of John chapter or Luke chapter 7 and John chapter 11 that happen and see if it won't help us fall just a little bit deeper in love with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the joy and the privilege that we have of being able to minister, to share the message of the gospel of Jesus. Thank you for everyone that is watching this both here and abroad. I pray that the anointing that makes ministry effective would just flow through me today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right, we're starting in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. We'll read it real quick. It says, One of the Pharisees desired Jesus that he would eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. Behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Nasty spirit. Nasty spirit. Let me read it again. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him sought, he spake within himself. So these thoughts were running through his mind, saying, This man, speaking of Jesus, if he were a prophet, let alone the Son of God, if he were a prophet, would have known who, first of all, who she is, and what kind of woman she is that touches him, for she's a sinner. Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence, the other 50. When they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him the most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she's washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. And that, by the way, was the official greeting. My head with oil you did not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? 
And he said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. Now go to the right in your Bible to John chapter 11. There's some people that say, well, I, we don't really know. And I even read commentators this week. We don't really know who this woman was. But in John chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says this, A certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. And it was Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So we see in John chapter 11 that this was Mary that Jesus uh, was talking to here. Now, there's a few things that I want to point out here in in the very beginning of of what I, I want to share with you. All of us are called to be and do different things. Touch your neighbor and say, I'm not you and you're not me. Now, don't say thank God or anything at the end of it, but, <laughs> but it's the point that we're trying to get across here, okay? All of us are called to be and do different things. Not everyone, not everyone is going to place value on the same things that you place value on. Because they see things differently. Their their life is different. Let me give you some some great examples of this, okay? As an evangelist, when we talk about the fivefold ministry, as an evangelist, all an evangelist thinks about is how many people got saved. You can ask them a question. You can say, well, how did service go this morning? Oh, great service. We had seven people give their life to Jesus. And and they always include that in the answer because their primary gift is the gift of evangelism, which is the spreading of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pastors are more concerned with discipleship training because pastors don't just want to get them saved, they also want to keep them saved. And so that's why a pastor will say, well, okay, that's great, you had seven get saved this morning, but let's see if we can at least keep five of them saved within the next six months. So that's what a pastor says. So the pastor's emphasis is more on helping people grow in God, learn the disciplines of Christian living, and those types of things. Teachers in the fivefold gifts are line upon line, precept upon precept people. They're really into systematic training. And so they like to just follow the red brick road, if you would. Prophets see everything in black and white. For them, there is no gray area. Bless God, this is the way it is. If, it's not, if, if you don't want to accept it, hit the road. That, that's the way a prophet thinks. And it's not because they mean to be harsh or mean, but to them, it's really just black or white. And a pastor is different than that because a pastor realizes that there's a journey from black to white or white to black or whatever, and through that journey, uh, things can kind of get a little gray. So a pastor will reach in there and grab a person who's trying to make a transition from one place to the next, and maybe when they see him get off track, pull him over through those gray areas until things become clear in, in their mind. Now, apostles bring order and structure to the body of Christ, and they can pretty much, uh, they can pretty much function in all of these other areas for short seasons. I told him in the first service that uh, almost every apostle I've ever met has ADD. Well, maybe not ADD, but you know what I mean. They, they have a hard time uh, staying uh, you know, focused because 
because they see so many things and they want to work on things and then, and then pass them off to someone else to complete and then get something else going and then pass it off to complete and then get something else. That's why apostles, you see them raising up churches all of the time. They're always planting churches or, or they're always taking uh, people that feel the call of God in their life for ministry and they're developing them for ministry because they're projects. So apostles are more projects project type people, but they also have a fatherhood about them. There is a spiritual fatherhood about apostles. Apostles are generals of the faith. They have a general's anointing upon their life. And so we see that God has something different for everyone. Now, uh, let, let's try this in this service, all right? Let's see if I get anybody to bite. How many in this place feels like you're called to be the lead pastor of Lakewood? Thank you for not raising your hand. I appreciate that. But you're getting my point, aren't you? You're getting my point. So you're not going to see Lakewood the way that I see it. Because God has put in me the desire and the love and the gifts and the things that are necessary to be the lead pastor of Lakewood. Now, am I a member of Lakewood? Yes, but I'm not the kind of member that you are. I'm a different kind of a member because... God has called me to function in this capacity. Now, what, will hap what would happen if about 10 of you stood up and said, okay, I have the call to be the lead pastor of Lakewood too? What would happen? Chaos would erupt. Well, no, it wouldn't because I would say sit down. But, but chaos would try to erupt. And so many times we as Christians that are trying to function as Christians are looking across the fence at someone who is doing something for the Lord and we're thinking, you know what, I want to do that too. And so instead of asking God about it, we just cross the fence and we go over there and we wonder why our life turns into chaos. Here's the thing that I want to mention to you. I want you to get this inside of you, okay? Let's quit trying to be someone that we are not and realize that what God has made us is enough. This woman who came to Jesus and was washing his feet with her tears and wiping with her hair and anointing from the alabaster box, this woman used what she had. She used what she had. She didn't have what the Pharisee had. It was his house, but she didn't have what he had. She didn't have the house for Jesus to come to. She didn't have what everybody in the room had. All she had to offer him was her tears and something to wipe those tears with on his feet and the oil to anoint his feet with. That's what she did. And so she said, you know what? I'm just going to offer to the Lord what I have. And so my encouragement to you today is this. Quit spending your life in the pursuit of things to give to God and just offer Him what you already have. Just offer Him what you already have. Well, if I had this, I would give it. Well, you don't, so you can't. But give Him what you have. Lord, I give you my time. Lord, I give you my talents. Lord, I give you my love. Lord, I give you my devotion. Lord, I give you my worship. God, I give you my praise. And when we offer to God that which we have, then heaven opens over our life and God pours into our life that which heaven has to offer. And that's when we need to stretch out the tent stakes because we can receive more from the Lord. So she washed his feet with her tears, dried them with her hair, and she used what she had. So the question is this. What if we all quit trying to be someone we're not and realized 
that how God made us is enough. Now I want to uh, transition and talk a little bit about this alabaster box. Notice that in the process of worship, Mary gave with no other objective than to be in His presence. I mean, we live in a day and age where people are teaching and preaching seed time and harvest, and I believe that. I teach it and I preach it because it's in the Word of God. And to not teach it, I would be, teaching, I, I would be leading you down a road that's full of error. The Scriptures do teach us that we reap what we sow, and the Scriptures do teach us about seed time and harvest. But sometimes I think there's so much emphasis put on seed time and harvest that we forget the value of giving to God that which we cannot recover. The woman here that poured herself out before Jesus with the alabaster box, she took this very expensive perfume and she anointed the feet of Jesus with it. There was absolutely no way that she could gather up all that oil and put it back in the alabaster box and take it home with her. Some theologians and some people that I've studied said that that was so expensive that it was equal to an entire year's worth of wages. That was very valuable to her. And, and so there's value in placing to God that which you cannot personally recover. Now, in 2 Samuel chapter 2, in about verse 23, 24, 25, we find King David standing there with a person that owned a threshing floor, and he was asking the person about the threshing floor, and the, thresh, the guy that owned it looked at David, and he said, I will not offer to the Lord that which cost me nothing. And so many times what we do is we give God our leftovers used to frustrate me all the time. We used to have a, uh, in one of our churches, we had a thing called helping hands. And so we would encourage people to come and bring things and that we would give them. And you know what they did? They would bring us junk. They would bring us junk. It cost us more money. I mean, we had to get a dumpster. People brought us so much junk, we had to get a dumpster because they, here, I want to give this to them. God don't want your broken toilet. He doesn't want a broken down baby bed. If you're going to give the Lord something, I mean, it's okay to give God, uh, give people things, you know, and give on behalf of God to, you know, that, that's good clothes and things like that. But don't be given uh, old worn out shoes that don't have a soul left on them anymore. Don't be given old worn out work clothes and say, oh, here, I just want you to have it. And, and walk away, oh, I gave that to God, I gave that to God. Well, listen, it, I don't know if God's going to accept that or not. Now, if it's all you have, He will. But what happens is sometimes what we do, if we don't watch out, we give to God things that don't mean anything to us. And so this woman, that's not what was going on here. This woman, uh, she took uh, and she poured out on the feet of Jesus and she gave something that she could not personally recover and her asset was spent. It was gone. So here's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Three questions. What am I offering to the Lord today and every day? What am I offering to God? Get up in the morning and say, God, what can I offer to you today? Number two, does it have any value to me? Am I offering to God something that is valuable? Or am I just offering to God something just flippantly off of the... Uh, God, does it have any value to me? I mean, there are different things that have different value to different people. 
For a woman, it might be giving God a beautiful purse. I mean, I'm married to a gal that likes purses. I asked her, I said, why? You've got so many purses. I said, why do you always want another purse? She said, because a purse always fits. Some of you got that. Some of you didn't. Why don't you want a new dress? Because it doesn't always fit. I always like purses because a purse. So a lady, it might be that. For a guy, it might be a gun. Oh, we're preaching where we're living now, aren't we? But for a guy, it might be a gun or a boat. I'm just saying, does it have value? What about your time? The most valuable thing that you can give to God is not your money, it's your time because your time is valuable. You can never recover it. You can never recover it so you can give God your time. So then we have to ask ourselves, what is our purpose in giving? Are we giving to get? There's a time and there's a place for that. There's a time to sow seed so we can reap a harvest. But the thing about it is, is most of the time it's not that way. Most of the time, God just sees our heart. And so Mary, she reaches out to, to Jesus and she gives him something that she... And there's absolutely no way in the world. If you go over to John chapter 11, you see where I read to you that it was Mary that, that brought and anointed his feet. And you see that that was her. But what you don't see is in the rest of that chapter, her brother Lazarus had died and Jesus came to resurrect Lazarus from the dead. That happened as a relationship that was established in an old irate Pharisee's house who didn't even want her to be in the room. But Jesus accepted her. And we're going to talk about the words of Jesus here in just a few moments. But Jesus accepted her. And what happened as the result of that relationship, Jesus grew fond of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And the Bible said that, she would, that he, when he went through Bethany, that he would stop and spend the night. He would have dinner with them. Lazarus ends up dying and Jesus comes. And after he'd been dead four days, raises him from the dead. That's all the results of worship. And it's all the results of worship in a hostile environment. Don't tell me that the music has to be going and other people around me and, you know, no, 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 no. You've got to learn how to worship God when things are good. You've got to learn to worship God when things are bad. You've got to learn to worship God when it seems like God's answering your prayers and when it feels like God's ignoring you. We have to live a lifestyle of worship in environments where we're accepted and in environments where it appears to be hostile. So these are the questions that we're asking. Okay, so now let's talk about the words of Jesus. And I just want to kind of uh, read through some of this with you. Now, let's start there in verse 39. I kind of pointed it out. Now, when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Now, let's talk about the interruption that Mary made in their process. Never ignore divine interruptions. Sometimes there's a rock in the road. I put that up there. I even got a picture of a rock and put it there for you. Sometimes there's a rock in the road because I want you to remember it. What if there's a rock in the road? Many times God allows these divine interruptions in our life to keep us on message and to stop us, to stop us from creating a train wreck in our life. Many are the times in my life, I've been doing this a long time now, I was looking the other day. I was trying to figure out when it was the first time I ministered, and it was back in, I believe it was 1976, but I'm not sure. That's a long time ago. I was a little boy, but that was a long time ago. 
And I can look over the, over the churches that we've pastored. I can look at the ministries that God has allowed us to raise up. I can look through the years. I can see the different cycles in the church, how things would come to prominence and drop off, and other things would come to prominence and drop off. I've seen God raise and exalt people. I've seen those same people get puffed up with pride and come crashing down. I've seen all of these things take place. I, I've seen it, and, and there's times I, I, in my own personal life when I've started down a road and embarked down a road because I just love God and I just want to do something for God and I feel the call of God inside of me to do something. I would start down this path, and all of a sudden I'd just be running into a wall. And I'd be God. You know, I'm just trying to serve you. I'm, I'm just trying to love you. I just want to do something for you. How come I keep running into a wall? And it's like later on you turn around and you look and God saved you from a train wreck. You were headed down a, a, a road that, that would have destroyed you, that would have, that would have completely maybe created discredit for you and for your ministry. Sometimes, you know, everything isn't always what it appears to be. And so sometimes, you know, people can come into your life and they appear spiritual and they appear powerful and they appear like they know God and all that kind of stuff. And, and I, I've learned through the years that, you know, we're kind of at the point now where people show up and they want to connect with us. And so, you know, at first that was kind of exciting. Now I'm kind of like, well, we'll watch you a while. Because the Bible says you got to know them which labor among you. And not everyone that comes along your path is someone that God sent you. In fact, sometimes there are people that the enemy sent to get you off track. And so we got to be very careful about that. And so we never fight divine interruptions. When we see the rock in the road, we know there has to be a reason for it. So Jesus looks over at Simon and he knows what's going through his mind. And so in verse number 40, he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And the man with the attitude said, okay, say it. Okay, so, I mean, he has this attitude, master, say on, which meant teacher, say on. And then Jesus goes on, there's a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one had 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me which of them would love him mostly. Simon answered and said... Well, I suppose it's the one that, forg that was forgiven the most. Look at it. It's what it says. Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, you have rightly judged. And so this man had an attitude with Jesus. Why did he have an attitude with Jesus? And this is a grave danger. It's because he did not see Jesus as divine. He saw him as common. Now, I'm going to hammer this just like I did in the first service because I think it's important for us. There is a grave danger, a great danger in trying too hard to humanize Jesus. Did Jesus hurt when he smashed his finger with a hammer? I'm sure he said, ouch. He might have said it. He might have said, good God Almighty. Who knows? Did Jesus ever stub his toe? I'm sure he did. He probably danced around in the middle of the floor just like we would. Yes. He enjoyed his mother's lentil soup. I'm sure he, he loved it. He enjoyed it. And if we don't watch it, we try too hard to humanize Jesus. He was human, but he was also divine. 
And it's so important for us, especially in the culture in which we live today. And this is where I'm going to hammer it. We're living in a culture where people are using terms like, well, we just want to create ministry that is relevant. What that means is they just want to treat Jesus like he's another person in the room like Simon did. That is a pharisaical spirit. Jesus, and we can go on down through here. The Bible said Jesus looked at him and said, when I came into the house, you didn't give me any water for my feet. She washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You didn't greet me with a kiss on the cheek, but this woman, since I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has not ceased anointing me since the time that she came. So what Jesus was saying was, when I came in here, you didn't even treat me like a valued guest. You thought I was just another person in the room. And church, I'm going to tell you something. That is the same mistake that the modern church is making with Jesus. It's so important that you and so important that I understand that while he became a man, he was still God. And not only was, but is and forever shall be God. Now, when we try to humanize him, we use excuses like, well, we're trying to make him more attractive to people who don't know Jesus. Listen, you are never going to attract the lost with commonality. I said, you're never going to attract the lost with commonality. Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. I want to win the lost just like you do, but I'm not willing to make Jesus just a common man. The Bible says lift him up, and the church needs to start elevating him again. We need to start lifting him up again. We need to start putting him where he belongs again and start worshiping him as divinity and start worshiping him as deity and seeing him as God. Now, Look at this. <laughs> Jesus says her sins, verse 47, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And in verse number 48, he says to her, thy sins are Forgiven. Then in verse 50 he says, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The presence of Jesus changes everything. When he said, I say unto you, Her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same love with little. We understand that it was in this atmosphere of worship in this hostile environment where there was a connection that was created with the God of the universe who had the ability to reach down into her heart even before the crucifixion and cleanse her of all of her sins. And those sins was cleansed because of her faith in God. So in the atmosphere of worship, cleansing came. I still say it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all of our sins, but there is cleansing in worship. It's not the cleansing of our sins, but it's the cleansing of our emotion. Worship clears the clutter and helps us see God for who He is. Amen. 
not a common man down the street that lives in the house down the road, but worship helps us realize that he is deity, that he is God, that he is all-powerful, omnipresent, omniscient, all-powerful God. And so when we worship him and the tears come and cleansing begins to take place, it activates the presence of God in our daily lives. So Jesus looks at her and says, your sins, uh, your sins are forgiven, which are many, are forgiven. And look at verse number 49. After all of this, the attitude was still in the room. Look at this. They that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves. So it wasn't just the Pharisee, but now it's the Pharisees. They began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And Jesus just ignored them. Now the Bible said they said it, said it within themselves. They didn't have the guts to say it out of their mouth. They said it within themselves, just like Simon did. And Jesus read them, just like he did Simon. And Jesus knew what was going on and he said to the woman, he said, your, your faith has saved you, go in peace. So what he was doing, he was saying, peace is nothing missing and nothing broken. He was saying, by your faith you are restored to a position where there is nothing missing and nothing broken. Now go in peace, get out of this room, get out of this environment, get away from these pharisaical spirits, get away from these people that are going to criticize you and beat you and destroy you and pull you down. Listen, many times if we don't watch it, that pharisaical spirit just tries to come inside the church. Because we're trying to humanize Jesus and we find fault with people who go through difficult times, through struggles and through trials and through tribulations and we say that we love the lost and we say we love the people that have challenges. In their, come on, I'm preaching it right. We say we have the love uh, for people that have challenges in our lives and we say that our arms are wide open but when they walk in and they don't look like we do and they don't smell like we do and they don't act like we do and they don't worship like we do and their culture is different, we settle on a corner and we find fault. Listen, we got to say, you know... We, we're not going to let that pharisaical spirit. We're too busy lifting up Jesus. We're too busy exalting Jesus. We're too busy elevating him to where he belongs so his presence and his power and his anointing can permeate the atmosphere, producing the demonstration of the spirit and the power of God in this day and age in which we live. God is calling the church out of religion and into relationship with God. And if we don't watch it, what's around us will get in us and destroy us. That's why Jesus told her, you came in here. Your faith has saved you and your sins are forgiven. Go and be whole. Be in peace. That's what God is speaking to us today. It's the desire of God. The desire of God that we live a quiet and peaceful life. It's the scripture. See, the presence of Jesus changes everything. Our activity of faith is essential to everything that we receive from God. What is the activity of faith? It's working the word. It's when we read, when we speak, when we confess, when we declare the word of God over our lives, when we are engaging in the activity of faith. It is the desire of God that 
that will produce for us a quiet and peaceful life. Isaiah 32 verses 17 through 18 says this, And the work of righteousness shall be peace. God did not make you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus just to say, Oh, there you go. There goes another righteous person. No, no, no. He made you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus so righteousness could work in you. That the work of righteousness shall be, number one, peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. 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 What he's saying right here is if you allow me to make you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, righteousness will work inside of you and that will bring peace which is nothing missing and nothing broken and the effects of that is going to bring quietness and assurance in your life, not just today and not just tomorrow, but it has the potential to give it to you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Come on, look at your neighbor say forever, 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 forever. Come on. Forever, forever. Yeah, forever, forever, forever. Now look at verse 18. This, that was verse 17 of Isaiah 32. Now look at verse 18. And my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation and in sure dwellings and in quiet resting places. One more scripture. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Look at verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. So the last question we ask ourselves today is this. Is Jesus speaking to me today? We see the words of Jesus to this woman, we see to Mary, we see the words of Jesus to the Pharisees. We read the words of Jesus out of the word of God to us. And now we need to say, is he speaking to me today? Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number four, Jesus. TV. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.